0: Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible and we're reading it together one chapter at a time. And here we are moving on to a different section here really in the book of Isaiah. We've just gone through all these different kinds of nations oracles. And there was one for Cush and there was one for Egypt and there was one for Babylon and all the rest, Assyria, Damascus, Moab, right? But now this is a pretty distinctive turn. Now, all of a sudden, we've got Isaiah talking again, um, talking about the stuff that he's going and doing personally himself. And he's going to do something kind of weird today, kind of unexpected, perhaps, from our vantage point. So this is interesting. Uh, we're we're kind of getting into a little moment of kind of giving us some historical narration. So where are we in the big story here? Is this you know, before the siege of Jerusalem? Is this after? Uh, who are all the players here? Sargon is mentioned. Who is that guy? So these are the questions we have on cue today for this short chapter of just six verses here in Isaiah 20. And joining us today, we've got this is, I believe, a new guest for me, so this is nice. We've got Pastor Ryan Fairman, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Wausau, Wisconsin. I think I, did, I liked pronouncing every single word in that, in that phrase, for better or for worse. But welcome, Pastor Fairman. Good to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm uh, first time on with you, uh, but I'm not new to KFUO.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, so what are some of the other uh, programs that you've done? Well,
1: Thy Strong Word, and then I was on way back in time uh, when they were still over at Concordia Seminary.
0: Ah, okay. Very cool. So, yes, yes, yeah. Way, uh, way back in uh, time, I too was there. Yeah.
1: All my people around me will, will tell me that I have to correct you, so. What's
0: Wausau. that? Wausau, oh, is, is it Wasaw? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I gotta make a note about that. Wausau. Okay, so where does that is is this one of those um, like Native American terms that we kind of borrowed or something? Wausau, or is it something else?
1: Yeah, it's it, a lot of the names around uh, in central Wisconsin, many parts of Wisconsin have a uh, Native American bent to them. The "wa" is related to uh, water, kind of like a place of water. So you have Waupaca, Waukesha, uh, Milwaukee, Wausau.
0: Huh. Interesting. Learn something new every day. Now, but your last name, though, Famen—that's that's that's German. Correct. (laughs) As are many names in the in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. (laughs) Yeah, it's a work
1: name. It means a ferry boat operator.
0: okay yeah very okay yes that makes sense that makes sense very good very good well welcome back then to thy strong word and kind of easing you back into it here just six little verses right shouldn't be too hard but there's a lot of um interesting historical stuff in here right talking about sargon and ashdod and um this this uh very i don't know how to put this um it, you might say it's a very graphic oracle that Isaiah performs.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so not a typical sermon illustration that
0: we use. <laughs> right. Yeah, the the people putting the lectionary together said, well, maybe, okay, okay, we, we've skipped over a lot of chapters of Isaiah. Maybe Isaiah 20 will, no, no, wait, we'll just, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll wait, we'll wait until, I mean, isn't it like a 20, it's not until like 24 or 25 still, so still among the, the chapters that are very unfamiliar with people. But yeah. So how, how do you see this chapter kind of fitting in with the rest of Isaiah? Cause it is on the one hand, it, it's different now, as I was saying, it's a pretty big turn in terms of the style, especially compared to the first, um, I mean, the last several chapters that we've been reading since maybe chapter 13. Right. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of continuity it talks about Egypt and Kush and Hey, those are the two that we've been talking about the last two chapters.
1: Yeah, well, and 19, you're looking off to the future, and there's some very wonderful things that are being said. Right. And so this is kind of a, we got to get back to the headlines right now, and there's some things going on, and Hezekiah is came at this time, there's the for him that I think that he acts on, or at least uh, historically it seems like he listens a little bit to Isaiah uh, with the events that occur in here or are are. Prophesied in here, but yeah, it is kind of a we're taking a turn back to looking around what's going on right
0: in Isaiah's time. Right, right, yeah, no, and we and we saw that too. How you, that perspective does seem to shift um from to that more. I mean, yeah, kind of a future perspective is one way of putting mm-hmm. it. Another way, it's kind of just more of a cosmic level, like we saw especially when we had that that Babylon art uh, oracle for two chapters. I mean that was just looking at everything from a timescale that went, you know, way far out and kind of just thinking about things, um, far into the future, but also just kind of appreciating like how everything in the world was all connected, um, how everything had a different connection to Babylon. And so, you know, we had that sort of just big picture perspective, but here, as you said, this is very much, um, your feet on the ground here, you know, taking off your sandals, walking on the ground. This is, uh, kind of back down to kind of that historical narration level. But, but yeah, but it's, it's interesting what we get here. So we should, we should probably go ahead. The
1: prophets are really, you know, yes. they, they go forward in time, but they're also very relevant to their own time. And in many and ways, too, right. it reflects preaching. Uh, you know, we might speak of Christ coming again or something like that, but there's also a place to speak to what's going on now.
0: Well, and and the thing is, I mean they're they're really never totally different, right? I mean, you're never just up Correct. there, you know, preaching to predict the future and it's just sort of like, "Oh, it's really interesting. I guess we'll see when it happens," right? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. You you're preaching whenever we preach about, you know, the future, it's because there is relevant uh, re- there's relevancy for the present, you know. I mean, how we how we understand our future affects how we live now. You know if we think that there's going to be a resurrection one day, if we think there's going to be a final judgment one day, well that has it pretty profound implications for what you do today correct yep so we see we see all that getting tied together here and after these uh these kind of broader uh broader reaching further reaching chapters, we've got this one here, isaiah very very in the flesh before us here. So before we read... And he will be you... in the
1: flesh, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, you
0: know, so. I know, I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thanks for picking up on that. <laughs> but uh, would you would you say a prayer for us and for everybody listening this Friday as we get started here?
1: Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each day that you give us. We thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your Word, to be uh, in a ministry like KFUO, so that the word can go out to as many as possible as we study this oracle bless us in seeing not only the circumstances of isaiah's day but also give us insight into our times and the promises and the fulfillments that your word gives us we especially thank you for all these things in jesus name we pray
0: amen 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 thank you All right. Well, let's read just um, maybe the first two verses here. Um, We we do have the luxury of being able to take our time with this one. No 50-verse marathon or anything like that, just these six here. Um, But maybe that's good because there's kind of a lot to unpack um, in just the the Mm -hmm. few short verses we have. So here's just the first two verses then of Isaiah chapter 20 here in the English Standard Version. In the year that the commander-in-chief, who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and fought against it and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go, and loose the sacklet from your waist, and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. All right. So there, there we have it. I mean, it's kind of very, I mean, it's, it's so amazing just how kind of like sparse this is. It's just sort of describing, okay, this is the time it was, you know, when all this was happening. And then all we get is a single, like one sentence command from God, and then just sort of, and he did so. (laughs) Um, So we can kind of break it down that way. So in the year of uh, this commander-in-chief being sent by Sargon. Okay, so who is Sargon here? We've been talking about Sennacherib um, before in the first 19 chapters. So Sennacherib was the one who laid siege to Jerusalem. So who's this Sargon guy um, to help us kind of orient ourselves and figure out when we're talking about? Sure, Sargon is before
1: uh, uh, Sennacherib, Uh, and he... uh, he really was in a period of time that Assyria was quite aggressive and expanding. And so Tiglath-Pileser, who's two kings back, is the guy that kind of revives the whole empire and then he has uh, a, a an older kind of uh, uh son Shalmaneser on the throne and Sargon's a brother kills Shalmaneser supposedly and he's the one that's in charge. He does a lot of things. He 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 puts down rebellions in various places. He retakes Babylon. Uh He's a pretty aggressive guy. I know his name from comic books. There's an old comic book character called Sargon the Sorcerer. No relation. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, it's, it's just but cool a cool name for a sorcerer, name, though. though, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a kind of goofy-sounding name. Um, <laughs> but he uh, he uh, conquers the kingdom of Israel uh, as well as Babylon, and so he's, he's a fairly uh, significant figure. And he's sending down his leader, and this is about 711 B.C., uh, I think they call it a tartan or whatever, kind of like what the uh what the uh scotsmans wear, but it 's just a similar word and mm. uh ashad this where he's going uh is a uh, basically where the, you would have found the Philistines. Right. and their little cities kind of near the, the shoreline and and they they kind of were friends with Egypt and you have these two superpowers i'm sure you've discussed it before yep you know you have assyria and you have egypt and here you have this little country and several little countries actually right here right uh, right between them uh, and so in ashad uh, assyria had set up a uh, basically a a puppet king a puppet ruler and he kind of was getting rebellious and he called on the countries around him for help, the little countries right. like Judah and Edom and Moab. And uh, Assyria kind of is going to go deal directly with this uh, king in Ashad. Come, and, and who's going to stop him? You know, Who's going to stop him from marching through anywhere? So mm-hmm. this, we kind of have this headline uh, that this is you know this is definitely seven eleven b c this is exactly what 's happening, and in that year is when God is going to speak to Isaiah with this specific action.
0: Right. Yeah, no, thanks. It's, it's very helpful. And right, we have been, t- actually, in the very uh, last couple of verses, we were talking about this kind of phenomenon of the two superpowers and being sandwiched between them. And we saw in verse 24 of chapter 19, how it says, in that day, Israel will be the third, with Egypt and Assyria, this prediction that, you know, Israel, um, which we said is the people of God, the church even, will be like this third superpower on, on the planet, right? Um, because, you know, Egypt and Assyria are the Ones that are kind of dominating mm-hmm. the show at the time. So, yeah, you've got these superpowers, and you've got all these little guys, as you were saying, kind of stuck in the middle and it's 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 fascinating because from the perspective of assyria right it, they're all just kind of the same they're just kind of like oh well you know they're all like hittites or something right <laughs> like <laughs> and, they, and they and they i don't know why they they they're just kind of all separate and doing their own thing but you know whatever easier to conquer i guess so you know you know they go they go marching through and we we already saw how right they they took over um, Damascus, they took over Samaria, and here they are. They're going to take over, you know, Ashdod, the, the Philistine country on the coastline. Um, they're they're going to knock over Moab, right? Um, and so this must have been scary from the perspective of Jerusalem, right? Because it's just everybody around you is just falling down like dominoes before the Assyrians, right? Um, yeah, and, and it, you, you, there's a
1: highway, ahead. remember in 23 and 19, you discussed yes. yesterday... There's yep. this highway that's going to be like this peaceful wonderful thing. Well right now the highway is a highway of war.
0: Mhm. Right yeah the last thing have. you want is uh is easier transportation between <laughs> between yeah. Assyria and you <laughs> like no no may the straight ways become crooked and the flat ways become like mountainous <laughs> like not not prepare the way no 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 um right so so that yeah that's our that's our situation here with the Assyrians just coming and and just capturing everything left and right and, and it was helpful also to consider right um, Tiglath-Pileser or Uh, Shamaneser, Sargon, um, later we'll get Sennacherib. But so, uh, so here he's going, uh, going along here. And so this is interesting because, you know, a lot of what we saw earlier in the book, Isaiah is making these prophecies, um, that are very strongly against, you know, um, I mean, either like the North or the South or both, um, kind of in anticipation of this big, um, conflict that's going to happen at the siege of Jerusalem. But this, you know, happens, like you said, a few years before that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but interestingly, it says here, I mean, this is sort of the thing that you kind of note, um, you know, loose the sackcloth from your waist, take off the sandals from your feet. So he's wearing sackcloth, you know. So why is he wearing that in 711 BC, right? I mean, it's uh, this is uh, something you'd wear in a time of mourning.
1: Well, when Ashdod, so this this little area, rebels against Assyria, they look to Egypt and they side with Egypt, and a lot of folks in that area were looking to Egypt for help, and that includes Israel. Or the temptation was there, right? And and Isaiah goes around, and this is typical prophet dress, uh, in this in this kind of coarse clothing. That's what the sackcloth is, and his sandals. And Jesus one time says, you know, are, are you looking for someone in soft clothing? You find them in king's houses. He's talking mm-hmm. about John the Baptist. And it, this right. seemed to be kind of a uniform For often the prophets. A guy that's a good prophet in any country back then, you know, you say stuff the king likes or the people likes, you get paid well. You get good stuff. Clothing was a big deal back then because you might only have a few pairs, and so you get honors and accolades and stuff like that. You wear this, and God usually directs his prophets not to participate in that way. Um, right. And so the, the, this becomes a uniform. You can think of pastors that wear like a, a black clerical collar. You know, the representation mm, sure. of sin, uh, in that, and, it, and it's a representation of repentance, a constant sign of that, and a constant sign that God's prophets aren't working for money, or working for accolades; they're working for Him and His Word. Right. So there is a there's definitely a call in a lot of isaiah's preaching to repentance too a lot of prophets are doing that the the law side of it uh and so this is his uniform this is what he wears it's also a warning just in general that you know uh what's going on in judah not so good you know what's going Mm -hmm. on in in jerusalem not so good and so if you want to hear god's word you go to these guys that are showing repentance in the same way that you know uh if I, w- I wear my clericals wearing black you know why are you wearing black why are you you know that's funeral right uh, mm-hmm. so, no I, there's there's a point to this let me talk to you right. about it
0: hmm right yeah no that, that's true that, that's true I mean like, you're right that it was something that the the prophets found themselves wearing kind of frequently <laughs> um, yeah. but but as you know but as as part of that though um, in particular as you were saying because things were not going so well spiritually speaking in Judah and Israel right and we and we did see that a little bit because the last time this is something interesting to consider the last time that we had this sort of narrative description of what Isaiah was walking around in doing was was like way back in like chapter seven, you know, and Mm -hmm. it was back in that point that God sends um, Isaiah to confront King Ahaz, you know, and Ahaz is doing his inspection of the waterways, right? He's gearing up for, I mean, what he probably sees in the writing on the wall, um, that there's going to be a siege at some point soon. And so he confronts him in the whole, and that's where you get the whole like you know sign of Emmanuel and all this stuff, right? Um, right. But like it's it's already it's a confrontation of as you were saying law. Um, it's a it's a confrontation of condemnation and and this I mean r- really this this denouncement of how far. Ahaz is um, from God. And and so it makes a lot of sense that, as you were saying, as Ahaz and the uh, kings of Israel, because there was this time that Hezekiah and Ahaz were co-regents, right? Ahaz was kind of directing everything, but Hezekiah was already, um, at a certain point, uh, you, you could, I mean, in a sense, anyway. Uh, he was also ruling, kind of like learning the ropes. Like maybe he was kind of like a has his VP or something. I'm not sure if that's really the best historical analogy, but something along those lines. But they're 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 definitely favoring making these foreign alliances to deal with their problems and appealing to Egypt and all the rest of it. And in fact, that's why we get and we saw this later. The Egyptians they end up sending people to go and um, defend uh, the area and defend Judah, and so. Um, That that's something that Hezekiah has got to repent of later uh, for his involvement with that, at least insofar as he was kind of involved through his father. But but right. This is, um, you know, Isaiah is uh, not pleased with the people of God here because God's not pleased with them. And so it makes sense that he is wearing this as many of the prophets had to wear frequently.
1: Yeah. So as as we read, uh, he takes it off.
0: No, he takes it off. And it's not because he's taking it off to go put on his nice clothes, is it? Right. Up, he ends up a little different. I,
1: I tried to figure this out because I've I, I read a few commentators back and forth on this. And it's interesting the word for naked there, it really does mean naked. Yeah. But it, it can it can have some variation because a lot of people don't want him to strip down to nothing. Uh, uh, they want him to be in be in his underwear, basically.
0: Well, uh, <laughs> but you know,
1: either way. I mean, think about yeah. it today. You show up at work naked, or you show up at work in your underwear. Either way,
0: it's <laughs> either going to way, be problematic. Either way, this is going to stand out. Is either way, this is going to make a statement, shall we say? It yeah. make,
1: yes, it will make a statement. <laughs> and so he, he takes the sackcloth off. And, and for, we find out in three years uh, he's going around like this.
0: Yeah. Well, no. Isn't the, isn't that something too? Because as you're reading it, right, you're like, you know, you know, go take off your sackcloth and you know, and and your sandals, and you know, and he walks naked, and you're like, oh, what an embarrassing day that must have been at the office, right? You kind of imagine <laughs> okay. like, oh right. man, you show up to work one day with with no pants, crazy. And then um, yeah, it's actually in the next sentence that we read that actually he did this for three years. So this was not like you know, one day he went in and it was like whoa. It was just like. Uh, for a while, everyone's just going to have to kind of like, oh, here, here's Isaiah coming. Everybody, cover your children's eyes. You know, like it's just um, he's just doing this for a while here. And uh, and it, the word there, as you as you point out, it really does mean naked. I mean, this is this is as naked as the Garden of Eden naked. I mean, it's the same word. And um, more more than that, I mean, I guess uh, there's the other kind of relation too, besides it being the same word that you had in the Garden of Eden. It's uh, very mm-hmm. similar to the to the word for shame, and um, and of course the two ideas are consistently linked together here. So when he goes and he does this prophetic action of walking naked, this is him saying, "Hey, look! This is how shameful this whole thing has become." Right? I mean, whenever the prophets do this stuff it's sending a message, and so like when he named his sons, right, Shi'ar (laughs) Yeshub, right, a remnant will return, or Mahershala Hashbaz, right, the spoils feeds and the plunder hastens, right, I mean, it's, all these things are messages, and man, the message is loud and clear. Yeah,
1: and he goes from clothing that's calling for repentance, it's kind of a mourning kind of thing, and to if you're not going to do this, this is the result, it's going to be this shame. And you can relate, uh, it, you talked about the Garden of Eden, and of course we come down to Christ on the cross, and he's stripped naked. You know, and for, and it's taking our place, this, the the full weight of shame is right. placed on his shoulders. So this, this nakedness theme is used throughout the scriptures and, and is fairly significant.
0: It re- it really is, and that's I'm glad you pointed that out because um well and there and there's something too right that uh like we we put Jesus on the cross but he's he's always somehow got clothes on still right when when we when we yes. depict him. Um, <laughs> kind of getting back to what you were saying about people going back and forth. And Isaiah was, well, no, I mean, he was, he was naked. They were, see, they were fighting over who got the underwear uh, among, among the soldiers there. Right. So, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, but that's the thing though, that that's, um, I mean, to us, it's like embarrassing or shameful enough when we have a dream where we forget to put pants on in the morning. Right. But in that culture, especially nakedness is, I mean, this is extremely shameful. And, and honestly, Uh, To a certain extent, they're thinking about how more shameful it is than how painful it was, even. They look up at him on the cross, and they're like, oh, man, he's just there naked for everyone to see. That's so terrible. I mean, like, we're thinking, like, oh, that must really hurt, right? But, I mean, it's the nakedness that's really uh, the scandal there. And we should say a few uh, more things about this, but we got to go into a break really quick. But hang with us, everybody. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 20 here on Nice Strong Word, and we'll be right back. (laughs) What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church free of charge to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Thank you. God, for those someday someday. Thank you
1: is an expression that can and should be said often, but something about it makes it even better to sing. In fact, simply hearing others sing it can lift your own heart. You will hear such singing on the next Sing for Joy Sundays at noon on KFuo, the Messenger of Good News.
0: Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance on KFUO, inviting you to tune in to the weekend edition of the program, the new time of 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings, Central Time. There'll be a different text and theme each week and plenty of encouragement and strength which only the Lord's Word can supply. So join me for a quarter hour of God's power and strength. That's Moments of Assurance weekend at 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings on KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, and we're joined today by Pastor Ryan Fairman, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Wausau, Wisconsin. I get it right that time? You did. Good job. Oh, very good, very good, in Wausau, Wisconsin. And, hey, you know what? Actually, just yesterday we were talking with Pastor Eckstein um, in North Dakota, and he was saying that it's already snowing. Is it, is it like that for you guys up there in Wisconsin?
1: Well, I woke up this morning, it was 62 degrees, and now it's, last time I checked, in the 40s. What they had in North Ooh. Dakota is heading our way for the weekend. Ah,
0: uh, so okay, it's weekend wow. Across. Yep. Wow, wow. Yeah, that's fast, just seeing the temperature. Those days are so weird when the temperature just drops as the day progresses. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it feels, but, it feels the
1: opposite of what it should be.
0: Yeah, I know. Right. It's just like, this is not how it's supposed to go. It's supposed to warm up here. So, Correct, but, yeah, yeah. No, I mean you know it's just it's uh just means it's good hot cocoa weather right so yeah uh, but so <laughs> yeah I so know, uh, so yeah so
1: like small consolation you know
0: well, yeah, 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 yeah yeah i know i know i know but you know like we were saying uh last time he was saying that at least in jamestown that doesn't stop anybody for, from from trick or treating even when there's like a bunch of snow on the ground nothing's going to stop those kids from getting their candy right
1: no i trick or treated in the snow when i was a kid <laughs> Put your jacket over your costume and go.
0: <laughs> there you go. That's right. What are you? I'm a very cold mummy. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. Um, but so yeah. So here we were uh, looking at Isaiah chapter 20. We just read the first two verses, but we're kind of hinting at verse three a little bit because we we, yeah. we look, if you look down it says that, you know why he's naked and barefoot for three years, and we were just kind of talking about nakedness um, as a theme throughout Scripture, and so I wanted to invite everybody. I don't know, kind of maybe an odd point to go ahead and invite people for comments and questions, but um, perhaps not. If you're in St. Louis, 314 821 If you've got questions or comments about anything here in these short six verses of Isaiah chapter 20, or any of the themes that we're talking about here, Egypt, Cush, all the rest. Or if you're in Wisconsin, perhaps you're in Wausau or elsewhere, one 800 730 2727 or an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. So, yeah, we were just talking about how, you know, th- this nakedness, it shows up in the garden. Um, and, you know, of course, you've got the comment in the in the garden that, um, you know, the the man and the woman were were naked, um, but they had no shame. Um, I mean, there, w- there was no shame in any of that. There, there was no shame in their in their complete openness and vulnerability with each other, their sexuality, none of it was shameful. It was all just perfect the way that God intended it. Uh, But then, you know, on the cross, it's just a very interesting juxtaposition. There he's naked and it's very shameful and everyone's averting their eyes, but um, this is the thing that's going to bring salvation through this. And so theres you could almost say that there's something similar going on here. Isaiah is not necessarily atoning for the sins of of the people, but uh, there, there's something good that God is working out of the shame that Isaiah is temporarily, um, taking upon himself.
1: Yeah. And, and with that idea of shame, that's what it means in Isaiah's day. By the time we get to the cross, it means that, but Jesus reverses the garden. And so here God lays himself completely open to humanity, to us. And he takes the shame and, uh, that nakedness almost brings us right back into the garden because uh, he's restoring all things in that way. But with Isaiah, yeah, it's definitely a sign of shame. And yet what's really important, I think, too, is here you have a prophet and right. and the prophet is willing to do this, which is disrespectful. You know, he's a it's shameful, you know, it's not going to win him any converts or friends per se.
0: No, in no. This
1: in this process but he's going to do it whether in spite of what culturally is around him he is going to stick to what God has told him to do he is going to stick to God's Word and I think that's a good reminder for us even now that there are things in the Word of God God is good he is truthful we have faith we trust what God says but when we follow that path it's going to put us at odds with what's respectable Uh, it's going to make us look abnormal it's going to maybe lock us out of some sectors in society, because right now what is in God's Word to some people is shameful.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, um, I like what you were saying that, you know, it's not going to really win him any uh, converts or you know get him any points with anybody. I mean, and, and that's something that's, I think, a challenge for us in the context of, um, you know, like a, a shrinking church in the West that, you know, it's easy for us to, like, kind of in a fit of desperation, um, especially in the, you know, just kind of comparing ourselves to, you know, recent decades where there was an evangelical boom, right, and everything was just like, whoa, just crazy evangelism, right? We well, got to do that mm-hmm. again, right, um, to reverse these trends. And so we, we can find ourselves in a little bit of this kind of desperation to try to just get people to join, right? But as, as we're kind of seeing here... Even though Isaiah, I mean, and think about it, man. Like we were just saying this last time at the end of chapter nineteen, what what is what does God say through the prophet here, right? He says, "Blessed be Egypt, my people." Like, wow, you know, I mean, I mean, God is just in the most dramatic ways. That's the only place in the whole Old Testament in the Bible where Egypt is ever where that's ever said. Egypt, my people, only place. Mm -hmm. I mean, Assyria is kind of scandalous um, uh, and, and just just um prodigal love of god portrayed right so openly how he's just so willing to embrace all the nations of the earth and that he wishes that all nations would attach themselves to israel man i mean the missionary thrust is 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 gigantic yet right it's not that in every single moment you're trying to like, you know, like win people over. Like sometimes there are moments where we're going to do things that are just I mean, we just have to testify to the shamefulness of the culture around us. Right. And no one's going to like that in, that in those moments. The big picture, the long game, sure, is is that you know, we pray that all people would come and, and come to the Mount Zion and, and worship with us. Right. Big picture. But in the small picture, sometimes not so much. And we have to be willing to, you know, even do things that rub people the wrong way and not say like, oh, well, Isaiah, put your clothes back on. I mean, they're, how are you going to invite somebody to church like that?
1: Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't advocate uh nakedness <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> unless
1: the lord is commanding it but there, there is yes. this thing of, of respectability and and while people say "Ah, i do what i want to do or i they, we do have a baseline respectability in different um a middle class or an upper class or a lower class that that it's really hard sometimes to cross out of that line yeah. especially if your faith says you got to cross out of that line
0: that's right yeah yeah no i mean it's it is it's really it's very hard and especially when you know again kind of talking about you know recent decades you know the religious um element in the country was associated with respectability right um and -hmm. it's really hard especially um for those of us who are part of churches who kind of like still have parts of kind of that tradition or, um, or especially those Christians who like were just—I mean, that was that was kind of like their heyday, even growing up in the church. You know, it's very hard when that association between respectability and you know, um, like kind of like you were like saying, kind of the better elements of the culture, uh, w- whether it's working class or you know, um, upper middle class or wherever it is, right? It's very hard mm-hmm. to let that go and say, you know what? Um, at the end of the day, the more important thing is being faithful, not being respectable in the eyes of man. Yeah,
1: it is a challenge. And uh, even for young people, we live in a very image-saturated culture now, and cultivating yeah. that image, whether online or so on, becomes important. Once I uh, post on Facebook, I, I, I took a goofy picture of myself for my Facebook page. And yeah. uh, the kids asked me, said, why did you do that? Because they they couldn't fathom looking... Less than perfect in some ways. Uh, Or at least a cultivated. uh, Right, right, right. Uh, right. And so definitely Isaiah putting up on his Facebook page what's going on right now would probably get him (laughs) banned.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Though, you know, getting banned from Facebook, I mean. That wouldn't necessarily be the worst fate if we really look at the big picture here, but, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. I might, I might suggest that some more people get banned from Facebook just for their own sake. Right. <laughs> but uh, putting, putting, putting that aside for the moment here, right? Yeah, no, it, it is. And we, and so we find that there are not going to be necessarily these moments where we get a direct command from God to take off our clothes and do this for three years. But there are going to be definitely times where we do things and things publicly, that are just not going to make us any friends. Um, and, uh, you know, we could certainly think, I think, of a lot of examples very readily, uh, especially sure, when you one, consider, one would
1: be just saying the first part of the creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, sh- maker of heaven and earth.
0: Sure, uh, yeah.
1: The fact that, that you believe in a maker,
0: a yeah, creator. Yeah. Oh,
1: that's and funny. then you look at Luther's explanation and he uh, mm-hmm. he goes into made me and my yep. body and all my senses. And we live in an era where... Uh, we don 't want to accept sometimes that our body and all our members are made by God, but we would rather transcend that
0: well right, or just um i mean because i mean it it goes back to the idea of you know that I guess God then has a claim on us right, and it 's like we can 't just do whatever mm-hmm. we want, and this is my body, right, and so I get to do what i will what i what I please with it right and you know, we, we very much have this idea today where everything is just, you know, the radical individualism and individual rights. And, hey, I mean, fighting for rights, that's respectable. That's honorable. Right. And look at you. I mean, you're, you're trying to take rights away from people. You're saying that people don't have rights over their own bodies, that, that they belong to God or that they belong to their spouse. I mean, that's just a backward so way that's of why thinking.
1: It, it's Yeah. It's just the, state, the first statement in the creed is, exactly.
0: is radical enough. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm right. sure can
1: think of other examples, but that's the one that came to mind quickest. Yeah,
0: no, no, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, there, there's, it's just it's very easy to think of them. But let's go ahead and keep pressing on here. Uh, take a look at the next couple of. I'll right, probably just go ahead and read the rest of the chapter here. These last four verses here, and then we can kind of consider some of these questions in terms of okay, so you know, here he goes and he makes this statement. Uh, for three years, just talking about the shamefulness of, you know, this alliance um, about Mm -hmm. Judah getting mixed up in it um, and not relying on the Lord. But, you know, Ahaz's, you know, attempts to rely on himself and his own cunning and all the rest of it. But so we can kind of then take a look at, okay, so what does that say for Cush in Egypt, though? So here we go in verse three to the end. Then the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years, as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered the nakedness of Egypt. Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush their hope and of Egypt their boast." And the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, this is what has happened to those in whom we hoped and to whom we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we, how shall we escape? Yeah, so, yeah, that, that, that quote at the end, I feel like kind of says it all, you know. You got Ashdod trying to get everybody together and say, "Hey, you know, if we if we you know go down to Egypt and Cush, they'll help us out. If we appeal to the other superpower, they'll get us out of this jam." But man, when they when they see Egypt just literally stripped down and shamed, they're going to say, "Well, then, who are we going to who are we going to appeal to? Who's left? Who can save us if not even Egypt can stand up to them? Can anybody beat the Assyrians?" Ah, I know someone
1: that can. Uh, God has still got His hand in all these affairs, and yep. Isaiah reminds them of that. the uh, The thing that's interesting to me when I look at this is it's talking about how uh, Egypt uh, it, is naked itself. Yeah. And so a lot of these countries that are looking towards it, and and uh, you know the temptation for God's people to look towards egypt and of course they're polytheists right to look there for for help isaiah is saying when you see this you will know that they are naked they are shamed there are not there's nothing they they can do they look powerful but they but it's a lie they're dressed up in in this supposed power but really they're
0: quite naked oh uh, the emperor has no clothes yep uh, in that. and it
1: and it seems to be fulfilled too uh seven o one yep. uh, b c is when it's fulfilled there before that all these little countries served as a buffer between Egypt and Assyria, and right. once Assyria kind of deals with this buffer zone. Egypt does finally meet it's a place called Alteca uh and it's it's got a different name now, but it's west of jerusalem south of tel aviv it's kind of near the coast and 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 egypt gets trounced and really do and there are really captives uh egyptians and other people from the country around there that are marched through on their way out and they they will see exactly what isaiah is saying and remember hopefully what his warning was that's why i said hezekiah i think was influenced by this a little bit because he doesn't help out in this time period, he doesn't, you know, doesn't go with Ashad, He doesn't, you know, he kind of stays. Stay, what, what's he going to do? But he kind of keeps out of some of the uh, the battles here, perhaps being influenced by Chapter Twenty here.
0: Well, no, that, that, that's right. You wonder to what extent, um, to what we extent don't know, this, though, the, for sure, right? Yeah. To, to what to what extent? I mean, what, what's interesting later on in Isaiah, you definitely see that, you know, Hezekiah he falls ill. Um, and he has to have this like big moment of repentance and I mean leading up into the siege, you know, I mean like mm-hmm. ruling alongside his father. I mean, he was involved in a lot of things that later he would come to really I mean, denounce and, and just go a very strong reaction away from, you know. Um so yeah, it's it's hard to kind of get a fix on exactly where a um Ahaz was 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 at um, during these these years, um kind of like right around the siege leading up to the siege where exactly his heart was but yeah I mean per- perhaps this was already you know if if maybe he wasn't necessarily acting on it like in the most in the fullest way um if at least already this was making an impression. On him, you know. I mean, and sometimes it's like that—that that you you preach the law and everyone just walks away scandalized, and then somebody comes to you and says, "Why? Why did you do that?" You know, you're preaching the law, and this isn't doing anything for anybody. It's just scandalizing them, right? But you don't know if maybe that word of law is is working on the person right now, and maybe later it's going to make them receptive to the gospel.
1: Yeah, well, what we know fact wise is that when Assyria came to Ashad, which is the beginning of the chapter, uh, they received no help from their call out to, to God's people So uh, at that point. So who knows? But, but, you know, the prophet still does what he does. The word comes true, God's word. Uh, this does happen. Uh, and so hopefully some of the people would have heard and listened and recalled uh, what Isaiah said and did, same as we hope in preaching, <laughs> you know that people right. hear and maybe it comes back to them to remember, and so we keep doing it.
0: Right, right, yeah, no, and and it's um, it's uh, we kind of talked about this before when it comes to you know oracles. So there's that word there for burden, mm-hmm. right? That it's it's this is sort of the burden of the spokesperson for God. Like you have to say. <laughs> what god says you can't say something else if god says bless you have to bless if god says curse you have to curse and that's just the way it is you know you've been kind of handed this from god and you're you're the messenger you know for better or for worse and so that's not the word that's used here but certainly the idea just in the prophetic office continues what is interesting is that the word here you you have um you know what is it here a sign and a portent right um it's mm-hmm. interesting cuz in the hebrew these are the words that were used uh in egypt during the passover that god was going to work these signs and wonders in egypt and here you have a, a sign and a wonder against egypt and Cush. so there there does seem to be like this kind of language that is uh is something similar here um <laughs> the, of course The weird thing is that this isn't like God, um, you know, sending a plague of of blood or frogs or hail. This is God sending a naked prophet.
1: (laughs) But the words, you know, the the people did hear the scriptures, and it would call them to recall that past and say, well, wait a second. Uh, You know, God crushed Pharaoh. Shouldn't we be placing our trust in the one that crushes Pharaoh, which is in Assyria, which is, uh, you know, is Yahweh, God of the God about that's where we should put our trust. Uh, and right. so that that those words might be cluing in people in a very compact way as the message comes through Isaiah. Uh, yeah. and they, they have to hear the message because they probably stop looking at him.
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That, well, no. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. It's it's the message, right? And that's and that's the yeah. interesting thing too. Like, if you look at both Hebrew um, and Greek, even there's not necessarily. I mean, there's like in the New Testament, it kind of begins to take on this nuance a little bit more clearly. But there's not like a straight up word for miracle, right? Like, it really that that's kind of like a modern word that we've come up with when we think of miracle as like this is like a thing. That's supernatural. It violates the laws of nature. It's supposed to get our attention, right? Um, In the -hmm. the Old Testament, yeah, even in the New Testament, the word is just sign. And the sign can be something uh, seemingly supernatural. Sure, yeah. It can be uh, something, you know, as impressive as a a plague of uh, locusts or, you know, really supernatural darkness in Egypt, right? It can be something like, um, you know, a prophet correctly predicting an earthquake or it can be something as simple as he takes off his sackcloth and his sandals and he scandalizes people or it can be something as simple and everyday as you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a feed trough and there's your sign um, regardless of whether it's impressive and miraculous or whether it's everyday and mundane god uses these signs to connect his message uh, to us,
1: yeah. There's always the message connected to it, and that's what's important. Uh, and so the Lord makes sure that the nakedness is not interpreted wrongly. He sends a word with it. Always sends a word. The uh, you mentioned that the, the summary at the end and, and how shall we escape? You found right. significant, and I, I think that's you know when we look here. And Isaiah is hoping for repentance and hoping for people to ask that question because there is a way out. Right. You know, that's a very relevant message now today, too. When we look around us, the anxiety levels of people are high. Uh, You look at, you know, you you find various gods, various places that you place your your hope in, whether it's in the stock market, whether it's in politics, whether whatever it is. And you find that that fails you. You know, yeah. where are we going to escape? And there is an answer to that question, and that's in Christ. You know, uh, even if you just simply look at yourself and your sins, how shall I escape from this body of death? Well, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that there there is there is as just like the Old Testament where they look, their hope is found in the delivering God. That same delivering God is here for us. Now, and that is truly where we want to put our hope, our confidence, no matter what's going on around us. how shall we escape? Well, look to the cross
0: right, right, right exactly. And, and you know you made this point um, you know earlier that there's this reversal at the cross of taking, it's a double reversal, right? It starts off that there's this Mm -hmm. nakedness in the garden and there's no shame there. There's no shame in that. There's no shame because it's how God made it. It's how God made it to be. And it was good. It was very good. Right. And it was only once sin came into the picture that we said, Oh, this nakedness is bad. Right. We, we, we're the ones who made it shameful. And there on the cross, then God enters into the shame because he, and I mean, in this, in this sense, if, if, if we can, uh, if you can hear this the right way, you know, he goes and he like, he strips down and like, he is in a sense naked with us and saying, look, this, this is who I am. I love you guys like this. And I'm willing to even do shameful, painful, um, seemingly just foolish things because this is my nature. This is my heart on display for the world, you know, and, and it's, and it's in that moment that there can be another reversal finally, where he takes what was shameful and he turns it into something beautiful. He takes what was foolish and he turns it into wisdom. He takes defeat and he turns it into victory, you know? So, I mean, that, that nakedness there, um, look, looking to Jesus on the cross. I mean, there's, there's something really profound about that because as you were saying, it's ultimately, um, the the only hope it's the it's ultimately the only place where we can turn to
1: yeah and we're clothed by him in righteousness and so he covers our nakedness so isaiah's the the message that you find in chapter 20 is specific to the time you know the 700s bc and yet the broader message of who this god is that isaiah is uh being the prophet for, and, and what is his attitude, and, and, and how how he acts is the same and is relevant for us, too, as we look at Christ and what he's done for us. God hasn't changed at all. He mm-hmm. uh, he calls us to repentance, and, and and through that calling to repentance, he provides us a way of escape from the false idols, the things that people would trust in for their deliverance, when he says, I'm right here for you
0: yeah yeah no it really it really is interesting to think of isaiah as you know as as a little as a little Christ here just in this this mm-hmm. very small and brief way, you know yeah he's not atoning for the sins of the world or anything like that, he's not even being you know sentenced to death or um or anything, but he is just in this small way doing what our Lord himself did, calling sinners to repentance and and entering into our shame and entering into our sin. To, to redirect us and, and point our attention to the word with a sign, right? And so in, in, that, in that little way, right, you, you, you even see Christ here in the midst of all of this. Um, we only have maybe just like kind of 30 seconds here. But, I mean, it is, it is fascinating how just overall, I mean, this is just taking, you know, we, we thought we could bank it all on Egypt, right? Egypt was our superpower. Mm-hmm. They were our last hope. And now they have failed us how God, he, he directs our hearts away from the things that we hope and trust in the most, are idols, by breaking them down, right, so that we don't have anything left and we turn to him.
1: Yeah. And he doesn't leave us. There is a way of escape.
0: There's a way out uh, of right. this idolatry. Right, right. Well, brother, so good having you on. Um, yeah, I hope yeah, we can have you. you on again a lot sooner. And um, I hope uh, everyone stays warm and safe up there in Wausau. And, uh, yeah, peace and blessings to you and uh, the people at Zion. That's peace to you, too. Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Ryan Fairman, pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Wausau, Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us today on Thy Strong Word. Check out our underwriters, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org keeping on through the book of Isaiah. Next week, moving on to the or- another oracle about Babylon. Till next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace.
1: You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission, in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting
0: by Strong Word.